Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. Welcome back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. Today's episode is going to be really interesting in that we're going to be looking at the lens of community support, community interdisciplinary care, but we're also going to be looking at that through the unique lens of occupational therapy, of really healthcare leadership, healthcare accessibility, really also looking at the lens of innovation in this space. So I'm very, very excited to have today's guest, Devin Cochran from Tall Tree, which is a, a group of clinics on the island, but not just exclusive to the island, also into Vancouver. And maybe they have other plans that we don't know about yet that may also be in the work. Today's episode is going to dig into the lens of definitely occupational therapy, but also building on some of what Devin and I were just talking about before we hit record, the whole lens of occupational medicine, right? Which is something that I think we're going to be hearing a lot of as we come out of this pandemic occupation has definitely been disrupted during these last couple of years and very, very excited to hear from Devin and his lens to this work. So Devin, thank you so, so much. Welcome to the podcast. Did I miss anything? No, thanks a lot, Mark. That's wonderful. And I'm happy to talk a little bit about my origins and a little bit more about me if that's helpful too. Oh, it's definitely helpful. We're very intentional on this podcast in terms of who we bring into our audience. And you kind of struck me when I first met a little bit about kind of your background. You're a very inquisitive mind, deep thinker. And I'm looking forward to sharing, you know, some of your vision for service to people in need with our audience. So very excited to do that. I really take the gloves off, you know, with this. I just want you to really share all of your wisdom and knowledge and even some of your questions with our audience today. So for people that are listening here, why don't you give the a little bit of a lens into why occupational therapy? What led you into this world? Great question. I love talking about this because the idea of you know, what brings you into a career path, I think, evolves and changes over time. Right? I've now spent eight years being an OT, and I think I think my idea about why I became an OT has, has shifted in that. But I think what it was about ten years ago now was that you know I finished university, I was looking for a career in healthcare, and I wanted to do something that really connected with. How I thought about health, which is that we and we really have to be engaged in real life and meaningful activities to be healthy. And you know, I discovered OT, and and that's obviously the the core tenet of OT is is all about occupation. It's about meaningful activities that are necessary and promote health. And that really resonated with me. I thought that it was a really interesting perspective. It was it seemed actually quite unique in the healthcare field. You know, a lot a lot of our disciplines in health. In medicine, physiotherapy, most other forms of healthcare are still quite rooted in a in a medical model, and and OT, of course, is, is influenced by that and and is grappling with with the influences there. But it has a very interesting and unique view about what health is, which is that you know to be fully healthy and to be really fully human, we have to express ourselves through meaningful activity. And yeah, I, I don't know exactly what it was about that that really caught me, but something seemed really special about that and. And then, of course, going through school for a couple of years and, and learning more about that and learning about the occupational science and understanding a little bit about how um, philosophy is really true just really reinforces those beliefs. So, 
So yeah, as I mentioned, I've been practicing now for about eight years, and my practice has evolved and shifted over the years. But something I'm very passionate about still is, is that importance of occupation. And we can get into it today, too, to talk a little bit about the challenges with doing that and how in OT practice, there really is still a lot of confusion about what yeah. makes us special and who we are, which I know many of the other guests who are OTs have expressed. Yeah, so I started my career in, in private practice for a couple okay. of years, and I did a whole range of things working with people from you know the age of three or four, only up to in the 90s. Just had a great experience wow. with a really wide variety of people. But I started getting more and more referrals and opportunities to support people after concussion, and it really click there. It really connected with an interest of mine in, you know, brain health, neurology, the science. And it's kind of fun, too, because it is a fairly new, newish, or, or at least like a hot topic in, in healthcare, which is exciting to be part of, too. And it's problematic, too. That's the other mm-hmm. thing that we're really starting to get a better handle on assessing brain health, on assessing cognition. You know, this is really relatively new in terms of really getting more reliable baseline assessments that are more objective. And I think that's the important thing that I think many people that aren't in the space professionally don't necessarily understand, right? Yeah, you bet. And I'd love to dig into that with you today. I'd love to. And just really quickly to go off the top, when we think about that term occupation, for our listeners, why don't you dig into what that means, okay? Because when many of us think occupation, okay, we think work. That's it. We do, all we think is work. But why don't you dig into what that really means in your work as an occupational therapist? What does that term mean? The idea that it has to do with work is very common and probably one of the most common misconceptions about OT. But what occupation really is, is, is meaningful activity and those are things that you do in your life that bring you a sense of purpose, of meaning, um, of identity. They're the things that really make us who we are. And there's, of course, a wide variety of things that are, are captured by that, that category. But the actual act of doing meaningful, important things is really what occupation is. And occupational therapists believe that being able to engage in those things is what makes us healthy and we're unique in terms of using occupation as a therapeutic tool. That's what usually I would define OT is, is I that love it. occupation is a therapeutic tool, just like exercises for physiotherapists or psychotherapy as for psychologists. Occupation is our tool. That's how we help people get better by actually using occupation, by getting people doing real things. Love it. Wow. I mean, Thank you for sharing that because I don't think we've really defined it in those terms yet on this particular podcast. And I think it is a misconception. I think you're bang on. And I think there needs to be more awareness around the generalizability of occupational therapy. Occupational therapy, when we look at our third party benefits, you know, our, our insurance benefits, it's rare that the OT kind of coverage is where it should be. If we're working off of the definition that Devin just gave us, don't we all want to have more meaningful activity, (laughs) right? Like I need a meaningful activity therapist. I need someone that can help me get back, especially if following an injury, right? How do I get back my function towards more meaningful activity? I think that's so such a great uh, definition, Devin. Yeah, that's really central, I think, to what most of our aims are in healthcare, right? I mean, we we all care about 
getting people back into life and doing real things and enjoying their life and finding meaning again. I think that's true of all healthcare providers. And there's a little distinction there that we often make that that could be considered what we call occupation as ends, right? That getting back into occupation as an end result of therapy is, I think, right. everyone's goal. But where we differ is we are, we can also look at occupation as means that we, we can utilize occupation as a therapeutic method or modality. And that's just really special, I think, and really interesting. And also what's really important in the area of concussion or brain injury, too, is bringing more of that in. And, yeah, there's a lot of reasons why I think there's it's kind of less known and why OT is, is not well understood. I think it's because we're not always clear as therapists about those core things. Um, and it's really actually hard to practice that way. It really is hard to actually get people doing real things when you're in clinical settings or in the hospital. It can be a struggle. And so I think it's pretty rare where you see OT really happening. And therefore, I think it, people just don't know and don't don't see it very often. And we also, I think, don't always do a great job explaining because we're often confused ourselves about what it is. Well, and I, yes, I see challenge. I, I agree with you. But, you know, I am a optimist trying to become an even more of a realistic optimist. I like that term. But when we think about our current state right now in this world, where our many people have really gone away from some of their meaningful activity pre-pandemic, mm-hmm right? It might be running, might be walking, might be going into the office. It might be, you know, whatever it might be. For some of us, we've really gone away from that. And when you think about the opportunity, when we think about your definition, which I love of occupational therapy, there's a great opportunity right now in front of us to access uh, professionals that are trained in this as therapists to help people get back or improve their ability to engage in more meaningful activity. And I think that if we generalize it more in that way, I think what will happen is more people will start to get awareness and then access to the kinds of services, even if it's private pay, to help them get back on track. Because it's very normal when we think about physical therapy. This is the thing that really has taught me so much over my time is, you know, in physical therapy, it's very common. If we have this kind of muscle skeletal injury, orthopedic injury, it's quite clear that we go to a physiotherapy clinic. If we have an ACL reconstruction, we do this, we even do prehab, right? And then we get the surgery and then we do a very clear rehab and everything is measured and tracked. And there's a lot on me as the patient to do my exercises at home, which I may or may not do properly. (laughs) But there's a model there that is well-established and well-accepted. And I think it's time, it is time that this starts to happen more around our activities of daily living. Like, why wouldn't we why, why wouldn't we do this? Like, I don't understand. I, I think it does come around to education. I'm with you. But I think it now is a great time to start thinking about this in a more generalizable, accessible way. Totally. Yeah, I couldn't have said it really better myself. I, I appreciate, you know, how interested you are and, and how much you're willing to advocate for that change because I 100% agree. I think there's a very clear picture in many people's minds about what, some of us do in practice, right? In terms of, okay, I know why I see a physiotherapist. Uh, you know, I have a sore back. I know where I can go. And I kind of know what that looks like. And it's less clear for OTs, but we're right. I mean, there's, there's very wide applicability where OTs are useful and valuable. And yeah, in terms of our current situation, many people's lives right now coming out of a pandemic and facing, as you put it, a lot of deprivation in terms of what they're able to do. That's our bread and butter, right? That's what we love to support people with. And and we know how important getting back out running and 
getting back to the workplace and all these things are for how you feel and, and your actual health. 100%. And I think that, you know, I'm very optimistic about it because I think it's there. I almost feel like occupational therapy has a marketing issue. It's not marketed very well. If it's marketed more into your definition, I think it's more, people are much more aware of this. And then with the awareness, because we know it works too, just like physiotherapy, when used properly, it works and it works well. So whether that's modifications in a home for somebody that had mobility issues, whether it's, you know, strategies to help them navigate physical situations, or it's even it helping them to improve different areas of their problem solving. They, these things are there. It's time that we start accessing them a little bit more through education to start, right? So for people that are out there listening, I think you already hit on this a bit, but always curious when we have pros in the field with us and they can share their wisdom. For people out there now that are listening, let's say many people that might listen to this, these could be people who have had a concussion, maybe. Some people that have had concussion aren't really willing to admit that they're having some challenges, which I understand, okay? I was talking with an audiologist earlier and just asking her some questions. And she's like, you know, when somebody starts to experience hearing loss, it takes them seven years to admit it themselves on average. So when we think about people with concussion who might be having either it's maybe balance issues or it could be cognitive issues, memory issues, whatever it might be, mental health issues, that can be challenging to also wrap our heads around. So there could be people that are in that situation. There could be people, other occupational therapists that might want to connect with you about innovative practices, medical doctors, and kind of everything in between. From your lens for that audience, what's your main message in the world of brain health that you want people to better understand? Great question. Well, at risk of sounding like a broken record, it really has to do with the power of occupation. And that's what really has been obvious to me over the past five years or so, working more and more with people who are recovering from head injury, is occupation can have a very important role in recovery. And I think often it gets overlooked. And so you know, doing real things to help people get better. So maybe I can clarify what I mean by that, you know. So getting someone engaged in a hobby or something that they're interested in, or getting them back to work, carries just as much therapeutic value, I think, than doing exercise, physical exercise, or of doing a cognitive rehab program online, or something like that. And oftentimes, it's even better. At least that's my belief. I think my main message is really that we need to really focus in on using real functional activity, really namely occupation, as a therapeutic modality when it comes to recovery after brain injury and any kind of recovery ultimately from injury or, or condition. And like I said, you know, that's, we've already kind of talked a little bit about the importance of that. And it's really just an application of that importance to a, a subset of people. And the, the importance of that message is true in pain. It's true in concussion. It's true in other acquired, acquired brain injury. But just there's so much value in doing that. And I think we, we often get stuck in our, ways of treating, you know, components, right? We're going to improve the range of motion for your neck. We're going to give you some vestibular rehab exercises. We're going to try and improve your memory through this mm-hmm. computer-based activity. We're going to get you exercising more. And all those things are valuable and helpful for almost everybody. But we can't forget about doing real things too, because I found a lot of people can spend their time doing rehab or doing therapy without really doing life. I totally agree. I think if I could just for a moment, I love what you said there. You know, it was interesting when I first got into some of this work and full disclosure, I do work in this space. I do work with clinics. I do this. I work with ABI Wellness. But what really struck me early on in this work, and it was 
these innovative occupational therapists like, like yourself who really brought me into this lens. I'm an educator and I've always been fascinated at the body's capacity to heal and to improve. It's always fascinated me when I see the remarkable performance of someone like uh, Usain Bolt. I'm amazed by it. But I'm also amazed at the progress that can be made once the first person breaks a new barrier. I'm always like so inspired by that. It always kind of gets me. It always inspires me. And when you see it happen the first time, people start to realize, oh my God, it's possible. And that's where, you know, people like Rick Hansen and Terry Fox have always been like my idols. Cause I'm like, huh, it's possible. I used to see Rick Hansen around my house. I grew up in Richmond, BC. I used to see him wheeling around I'm like that guy is a marvel. That guy is amazing. Because unfortunately, sometimes we can fall in the mindset of now I'm disabled and I can't. If you believe you can't, then you're right. And that's where the work in the psychology side of people like Carol Dweck is so important to inform practice for individuals that are in this space. Because her whole work, which you probably are aware of, everybody is these days, is in growth mindset, is in the mindset around progress. And it's really this process of praising the effort towards a worthy goal. And that's where I just couldn't agree more. When I think about occupational therapy, I've had family members who have had struggles where they really needed strategies and, and compensations in place to enable them to even navigate their own home. And what a beautiful thing that you can have to give them somewhat of that still independence to be able to do certain tasks around the home as independently as possible. But the part that I'm fascinated by, and I marvel at that still, but I'm still interested in, before we surrender completely, let's make as much progress as we can. In my mind, I have the Rick Hansons sitting there going, you know how much he worked out? You can't wheel that far. It's not possible for someone to wheel that far. Terry, you can't run on that one leg. You can't watch me, right? And I'm going to train towards finding a way to do it in my own way. With adaptations, but I'm still going to exhaust my potential. I'm so excited about the future of occupational therapy right now because I'm seeing what's happening on the assessment side. And then I'm seeing what's happening on the really exciting treatment side. There's a lot of new tools coming out that are really going to help people. I'm so excited about it. I think it's really, really good because I think a lot of people, unfortunately, that we see, I'm sure you see, and that I see, have been told at times that we've gone as far as we can go at this point. In the physical side, you know, we're seeing things with, I guess it's called praxis now, it's not the Regansis side, but when we look at spinal cord injury, and we're seeing some remarkable changes in research and improvement there that are leading to increased mobility, which is wonderful. And I think we're going to see the same kind of thing in occupation. I don't want people to lose their optimism on what is coming here, because unfortunately, I'm seeing a bit of that. And maybe this episode can help to inspire people to not give up yet. <laughs> the, the change is still, it's coming, I promise you. And it's already here in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, you covered a lot of ground there. So let's unpack some of Sorry, those. sorry about that. <laughs> let's unpack some of those comments, because yeah, I, there's, there's a lot there, to, a lot of juicy meat to, to dig into. I mean, I think some of the topics you're, you're speaking to, like hope and optimism, they're the mediators of getting better, right? I mean, obviously hard work and and sometimes good guidance you know, it's helpful, but hope and optimism are really central to, to getting better. And I think, as you, as you say, you know, the, the sentiment for everybody should be that better is, is possible, right? It's, I guess that's another important message to anyone is better is possible. You know, that's a safe statement yeah. because we can't always get back to who we were. We can't always function exactly how we were before something happens, but we can definitely get better. 
and that betterment never really never really diminishes to zero. And I think, as you mentioned too, like a big part of getting better is is having those meaningful, compelling goals and just showing people what's possible. And you, you can only really do that you know, meaningfully through walking with people through real life. Mm. I think. I mean, of course, some things like in the clinical setting can be more than two. Like I'm lifting more, I'm exercising more, I'm doing that kind of thing, and that's important to kind of build out the momentum. But I don't know if really the that recognition of what's possible really changes until you really get out there and experience life and, and realize, yes. oh, I can do this. I can go back to work for a little bit. I can I can play my guitar a little bit. I can go for a walk without getting sick. I can play with my kids again for an hour. Um, those little glimmers are really, I think, the pivotal steps in, in recovery. I totally agree with you. It's all about, this is a thing I really struggle with. You know, you talk about these computer games and these cognitive training games and some of these things, which again, I'm optimistic. I want to see them be great. Like, but also I have a little bit of bias. I have to admit, I have to own that. Well, maybe in some cases you could get better at doing a task, but how does that transfer? Like, that's always been my big question of mine. We've talked in the past, you know, my background was kind of somewhat of an athlete. I played football in university and, and really the season was one in the off season. It really was. And it was how hard are you willing to work in the off season to be the best kind of the best puzzle piece you could be for the team, right? What were you willing to sacrifice to improve, to support the improvement for the team in the season? And what level of transfer would the improvement that you made in the off season have? into the regular season. And, you know, that was the thing I struggled with, with some of these things that were being done that were claiming to do certain things that maybe you were, one might be getting better at the task, but that didn't necessarily transfer to me being able to manage my day-to-day better, right? So I was getting stronger in a specific area, but it wasn't transferring into my occupation, my meaningful activity. It wasn't necessarily doing that. And therefore, a lot of the industry, fairly actually, has kind of looked at some of this stuff saying, meh, meh, I don't know about that. And I think that's fair, because when we look at the dosage of life, life's pretty high dosed, <laughs> right. or, or, or hopefully it would be, right? Hopefully it can be. And the only way we're going to get to that higher dosage is by dosing up what we're working towards, right? And so that we yeah. can mirror. Again, I like what you said, too. If we're in an injury or illness situation, we may not get back to where we were before. Likely, maybe we won't. However, how high can our new ceiling be? There was one client I worked with. Now, again, I may sound like I know a thing or two here, but it's been the clients that I've worked with that have taught me these things. These are the lessons that they have taught me. And one of the individuals that I that have come to know, her word for this with her OT, actually, it was her OT that introduced us because she had some significant kind of fluid cognition things that she wasn't quite able to work on. She'd done so much other stuff. It was remarkable, but there was one little piece. And so we did a little work together and her whole thing was, I'm not going to be the same as I was before. That's clear. What I want to do is try to reclaim. There was like ownership in that word. Reclaim as much of my old as I could towards my new, new. And I was like, Oh my God. I was like, pause. I need to write that down and learn because I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. I love the word reclaim or reclamation. That's something that definitely has sort of come up and emerged from a lot of therapy relationships I've had with people too. And I think it's a great word because that is kind of the process of getting better a lot of times from an injury is you're reclaiming parts of yourself, who you are, who you want to be as well. Um, and there's an exploration as well of that, right? Of, of maybe trying to be different and trying to be better than before in certain ways. 
And then when I say that, you know, you can't be, can always be as good as you were before. And that's true for everybody. I mean, none of, of us course. can, none of us can go back in time and be, you know, as, as fit and fast as we were 10 years ago or back in the football days for you. <laughs> nope. right? and, but, um, but we can, we can definitely grow and change. And yeah, and just going back to something you said, I, I love the analogy of sport when it comes to how we can approach rehab because in your football days, you're saying, you know, in the off season, you're, you're training a lot. You're probably in the gym, you're yeah. strengthening, you're working on mobility, speed, you're doing drills. You're not playing as much, you're not maybe scrimmaging as much. No. Nope. But, you know, a lot of that can help, right? You either maintain that level of fitness or you can maybe work on certain skills. And some of it might translate. But then you also need that other half of the picture, which is actually playing the game. If you never played the game, you'd never, you wouldn't really get better. And if you only played the game, you might not have an opportunity to improve certain aspects of your game. So I think that's really true about rehab too. You know, like I don't ever mean to bash component-based approaches. You know, I think they all have a place. Whether you're on range of motion or strength or speed or cognition, it's all important. You have to then translate that and play the game. You know, the game of life as well. And I think that's fair. And I think um, I love it because context is king, right? I mean, you, there's no exercise out there. There's no cognitive activity on a computer out there that's going to always generalize 100% of the time. You know, you have to go and use things in context to really cement those changes, I think. And again, that's sort of reinforcing the power of OT because we're entirely focused on that doing things in context piece. And that's sort of tremendous value for us, especially in a, in a clinical setting around, say, concussion, where 100%. most of the treatment these days is still fairly component-based, right? You come into the yep. clinic, you do a little bit of work there, maybe for a couple hours at most, and you're out of there. But all the the rest of the week, the rest of the month, you know, there's so much more that you're doing to, to get better. I think people, my observation has been at least that a lot of people overlook a lot of, of our patients or people going through recovery overlook the power of doing real things. Like I, I prescribe all the time, like go out for dinner. That's yeah. going to work on your, yeah. it's going to work on your selective attention. It's going to work on your sensory tolerances. It's going to work on your relationship with your partner, you know, whatever it is. You can do all that at once. And it's probably just as good, if not better than sitting at home and doing a sensory integration exercise, for example. So I, I love what you just said. Okay. You really nailed something here because a friend of mine who I had, I got to know over the years, wonderful dude. He worked in division one football and in the NFL and he was a strength and conditioning specialist. Okay. And he has a master's in strength and conditioning, but he has like a bunch of different diplomas in like systems theory and systems management. And his whole thing, he paired two worlds beautifully. So his whole thing was get the ceiling as high as possible physically. So train up, you know, you're going to need a solid deadlift to be a decent football player, no matter what position you play. You're going to need good flexibility regardless. So you all have to stretch. You're going to need solid shoulders. You're going to need solid biceps. You're going to need solid, you know, chest. You're going to need solid development in your calves and all of these things. That all has to be done. You have to have that level of function first. Some people might not. If you don't, you're not going to make it. But you have to have the level of function. And then what he does, so you have to have that physical capacity. His weight room was designed with exactly what you're talking about. It was completely transferable. So the way in which he set up his weight room, which was I thought was fascinating, he set up the weight room by position. Amazing. So the linemen, their part of the weight room was all these push-pull activities that were in sort of these positions. 
everything was set up that way. The wide receivers was all this quick footwork stuff with all these other machines and all the bands and all that stuff. It was all totally different way of doing it. It's totally functional. It's all about function. Because yeah. why are we spending so much time, if we have the capacity, why are we spending so much time on our back doing this? I don't want you doing that as an offensive lineman in the game. That's not what I want you doing. <laughs> I, I want you upright and pushing, right? And in conjunction with your hip movement, you know, so that's where power cleans are more transferable and a much more transferable measure of performance than the bench press. Yeah, that really, I think, represents you know, good rehab. I think whether you're a physio or you're a kinesiologist, an OT or a counselor, you know, all our great colleagues are thinking like that. You know, they're, they're thinking, well, how do we make this real? You know, how do we how do we make it more generalizable? And that's yeah. I think what the key differentiator. And I also agree with what you said too around, yeah, I think like building strength, building components. You know, it's important to build a foundation. And sometimes we have to go there to be able to you know get to the point where you can leave your house, you know, or where you can actually go and do some real things. And yeah. there's there's a place for that too. But the faster we can get to that place of of engaging in, in real life, the better, right? And I think that's the key. So for some, they might just need kind of the tactical, right? That, that we're talking about. Some, hopefully, may just need that. Wonderful. Sweet. That might be easier. But for those that need the other part, this is where I really think we need the truly interdisciplinary, not the multidisciplinary. Multidisciplinary is still useful. But if we're looking at trying to utilize resources as effectively as possible, we actually have to move more to the interdisciplinary. So we can do hopefully less assessment on the front, get more data from an integrated assessment, and then co-treat. And if we can do that more effectively in the more complex cases, what happens, as we know, is we get better outcomes. Because we see this you know, in cardiac rehab, we see this in cancer care, we see this now coming. I know we have a lot of work to do, so before you roll your eyes too much at us and are slapping me virtually, they're working on it in our province of British Columbia, on the mental health side as well. The research is starting to show up, which means research is going to hopefully inform practice, and it's starting to. And I think that's ultimately a very good thing for all of us. Definitely. And I think I, I know that you and your whole company is really focused on that multi-pronged approach, right? And I think for any plan to help someone get better it has to be comprehensive. And that means it has to include lots of different people because each one of us as a healthcare discipline really only has a little slice. Yeah. And we've got a lot to overlap too, but it's really quite a small slice and there's huge value in working as part of an integrated team. And that's something we've been trying to do for quite a few years now. And they're still trying to do it because it's actually quite hard to make it work well. It takes a long time to really establish that level of trust and relationship between clinicians and to develop systems that really force people to work well together. But in many cases, as you're, t- as you're saying, it's, it's really necessary. And I think many people that we see in, you know, clinically need a wide diversity of approaches. They need a lot of different kinds of help and that's best served by a, a well-diversified team. Well, and I think that's something, and I know you, you're a humble guy, but like that's something that struck me about your work at Tree because you're truly, and people need to know about your work. I mean, I'd heard about your work for years. You know, I've had colleagues over on the island who have told me about your work over there. And then when I went to the website, I'm like, why do I keep hearing this name? I don't know, you know, what they do really. And I dug into it and I went, this is really interesting because they truly are seemingly on a quest to provide alignment in care as efficiently as possible from medical doctor to massage to Cairo, I believe, to physio, 
even into OT, even into mental health practitioner, even into other more generalizable wellness activities. And I'm saying that's a good thing because where we can lose people, it's all fine and dandy for you and I to talk on a podcast and at the end, everybody goes, oh, that's good. But when the rubber meets the road and I need help now, if I can get most of the help I need in one place, that's better. That is much better for me. And that's the business we're both in. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's really important. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. And as an organization, uh, one of our main missions is to really be the almost everything clinic. So yeah. to really satisfy that if you have an issue, you know you can come to us and we can help. And we can connect you with, uh, with other people outside of us who could help you better if, that, if that's the case. Because one of the hardest things for anyone who's going through a, a health issue is to find good quality help and make it simple. And catching that with concussion, you know, my first couple of years of practice, I, I saw people with one organization and then they might be seeing a physician somewhere. They might be seeing a physiotherapist somewhere else. They might be seeing chiropractor somewhere else and then also going and see optometrist in another place and it just it becomes quite a mess and it's really difficult to work yeah. not impossible but difficult to work well in a as a team when not in the same place and we created the concussion services here at Paltry to try and do that and our dream still is <laughs> to be a, a one-stop for anyone who's dealing with issues surrounding uh, concussion and we're not quite there yet still you know it's been five years and we're still trying to get to that goal and it, it does mean probably including a couple other disciplines that we don't currently have. But that's that's really our mission is to, you know, you can come to us. We can try and make it as easy as possible. You're going through a hard time. We don't want you to have to overthink it. And we can match you with the right types of approaches and do that hopefully in a, in a humble way too. Because we don't want to assume that we do know what's best always or that we have to, no. you know, keep everybody within our, our castle walls. We want to do that in a really open way. And that's, it's so fun to have conversations about this because yeah. there's a lot of wisdom in our community and a lot of amazing practitioners that have really inspired me over the years to do a better job and still trying to get them, you know, maybe come work with us too, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my card. Yeah, it is uh, recruiting, but, you know, I think, I think you hit on a really important point. And I'm enjoying this conversation, by the way. I wasn't sure it would really go here, but I'm happy that it did. I think you're hinting on something that's really important is that, and it's actually for my colleagues that may listen to this, I don't know if they will, but some of them might, is I think culture really matters. Like it really matters. And, and if your vision is on point, if it's really the way that people feel when you come into an organization, then the safety of that individual and the staff is in place and then we can be vulnerable enough to really engage in the therapy in a faster way which is so so important and sometimes in our space hey like not necessarily talked about but i think that's an important element of it too is that if we built that kind of relationship and that trust with that client who's in need and with that practitioner who's providing service and they know that devin's got me <laughs> you know that's really important I think the relationship between anyone who's looking for help and the people providing the help is maybe the most important thing when it comes to outcomes, right? I mean, yeah. if you've got a bad relationship, you're not, you're not going to get anywhere. And 
that relationship is built on many things, right? It's two people in a room, it's the context environment that they're in, it's expectations and skill maybe of a therapist. But yeah, uh, but yeah I hundred percent agree that that relationship is really, really important and you can't do anything without at least not anything effective, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean it's interesting, right? You you know, I, I often you know, when you think about you know, situations where, you know, neurosurgeons, as an example, sometimes in the old days, they were known to not necessarily have the best bedside manner. But goodness, they could find the tube. And they had the steady hand to do it. Not trying to pick on neurosurgeons. It was saying highly specialized individuals. And they need to be. They, you, that's who we want. But what's exciting is that we're now seeing this kind of new movement towards Yes, specialty, very important, but also generalizability is also really, really becoming more and more and more important. There's a bestseller that just came out a couple of years ago that was all about how the generalists are, are really swooping out there now and doing great things. Because as long as we have a good generalized knowledge, then we can ask better questions within our specialty too. And I think that's a really cool lens that we're seeing come up now. And we're seeing that a lot in general medicine now. And I think it's very interesting. And and it's becoming more and more okay for us not to know the answer. But if we're within a community where I can just say, you know what? I'm not an OT, but why don't I ask Devin? He's next door, you know, and just do this kind of shared charting and the shared information around the EMR and these sorts of things. I think patients are going to be in really good hands as we continue to move and progress forward. Totally. I think for our whole healthcare system, you know, both public and private to work well, we have to really tap into that collective knowledge, right? It's, it's Always going to be a place for specialist knowledge, of course. Of course, but we can we can really leverage that and help, say, medical specialists, for example, be more effective if we're utilizing that collective knowledge, that generalist knowledge, a little bit more often. And that makes sense too, because there are only so many medical specialists, there are only so many neurosurgeons out there, but there's a heck of a lot more physiotherapists and OTs in the world. And I think that that's maybe another shift that I'm, I hope for as well, and I think it's happening in healthcare, which is the recognition that. There's just as much help to be had from primary care, from a lot of, of us working in rehab, as there might be from waiting a couple of years for a medical specialist appointment, for example. And you know, we, we really want to get people engaged in their recoveries as soon as possible and, and get moving on things. Meaningful activity, right? Again, back to occupation. We've got to stop calling it occupation. We've got to redefine it. Well, because we, we, we've tried thinking about that, but there's not really a good word. I know, that, I know. Yeah. Hey, anyone who's listening to this, if, if you happen to be that remarkable wordsmith, let Devin and me know, let Devin and I know, if you have a different way to rebrand the term occupation, let us know. I'll buy you a coffee. Because I think it will help a lot of people out there. It will also help a lot of occupational therapists out there to get access to the clients that need their help so badly. I'm filled with optimism after this conversation. You know, it's exciting. When I think about this kind of generalization, I think it, again, not trying to hate on the specialists out there. I'm just saying, you know, and I think it was Epstein who wrote that book about range. I thought it was a fascinating thing because I think as we, as we go forward, all of us should have a relatively good general knowledge base so that we can, again, ask better questions and get in front of the right specialist faster. 
Definitely. And that will help the specialists. I'm sure there's many specialists out there that maybe maybe they're in hematology and they're like, actually, this isn't a blood issue. <laughs> it's something else. I don't even know why you're here. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's ultimately going to be a good thing. When we think about the the kind of key references or key influences for you in your work, you know, given that you're still relatively early in your career, but you're progressing, is there one or two kind of influences that really kind of are paramount for you and, and really uh, stood out? These could be books, these could be people, these could be lessons. Yeah, definitely. I think if I think back to what's equipped me or helped me help me help people better, I took a really fantastic program through Evidence Emotion about six years ago now. And Jessica Swartz, she's a physiotherapist who really was the pioneer of that program with them. And I don't, at first, I don't think it's still being run or offered, but I just, I really respected that she would push hard to develop a great curriculum and help others like like me train up in this space and do that in a really effective and efficient way. And I'm thankful that she did that. And yeah, I mentioned there's, you know, there's a few local people who I really admire, who've, who've taught me a lot of the years. Uh, Bernard Tonks is one. He's a vestibular physiotherapist here in Victoria, who's really quite renowned internationally, does a lot of teaching and, has a very nuanced and deep understanding of of what people are dealing with when they come to see him. He he often sees people years after injury who are still dealing with dizziness and, and has a really interesting uh, angle and, and view on how to help. And then you know there have also been some really important pieces of uh, literature that really stuck in my brain. One of my favorite papers, probably right now, I don't know, five or six years ago. It's not very often that pieces of science stick in my head, but David Sharp, he, I think he's a neurologist in the UK, and he wrote a paper called Concussion is Confusing Us All. I'd really recommend that all healthcare providers read this because he lays out a really compelling case about how the way that we diagnose brain injury is, is quite flawed and sometimes misleading and nonspecific and, and how that kind of gets us into trouble. And I think that's one of the most frustrating things about working in Concussion as a subset of brain injury. It's just how there really isn't a lot of certainty when people show up at our doors and have this label attached to them because concussion itself is very much non-specific diagnosis. It's a good read because it, yeah, he lays out a good system for how we might think about brain injury as, as more of a spectrum and really try to differentiate things a bit better. It's really stuck with me over the years because I've definitely seen that in practice. You know, we, we've now seen I think over a thousand people through our clinic with concussion. And you can imagine with that number of people, there's a lot of different presentations and a lot of different reasons why people are looking for help. Yeah, they're all labeled with concussion as, as the, the issue. And so it's, yeah, I would really recommend that paper. That, that one stuck with me quite a while. And I'm sure there are many other influences that I'm not thinking of on our spot here, but uh, of course. those are three that come to mind. That's great. That's great. And then for you, we kind of gave you the crystal ball for the world of brain health in the future. What does the future look like? If you could have it your way down the line, what does it look like? Riffing on that idea of differential diagnosis, uh, my dream would be that someone can come and see a medical provider and that provider can really assess and understand precisely what's happening for that person. In the context of concussion, what that means is having an enough data to understand what's really going on. Has the brain injury actually occurred or not? Which is actually a very common and difficult answer question. Is there 
sensitization happening for this person and to what degree is how much is anxiety and stress playing into this? Is it a mood problem? Um, is trauma something we want to look at? Is there a neck injury? Is there a vestibular injury? Uh, is there sensor integration problems? No, or there's, is there something more physical going on? Is there some endocrine, autonomic, or, or immunological problems happening? You know, these, these are the kind of questions that we're all thinking about as clinicians that we can't answer almost in any case. And so we struggle through it. We do our best. We, we apply general approaches to help people get better. And most of the time it works fine. But, you know, to really actually tease that apart would be a brilliant thing for us to have. And I think there is, you know, quite a bit of work going into this, especially in the field of, you know, cognitive assessments and balance assessment and exertion assessments. But we know a little less about how to do the other pieces. And there's still a lot of gaps to fill to be able to do that. But yeah, my, my hope is by the end of my career that, you know, we, we have a good differential diagnosis for people that come see us that we don't even maybe even use the word concussion anymore, except for very specific things. Yeah. So that we know we're treating. And we know we're trying to accomplish together because the topic for the conversation would be around, well, what, what are the pros and cons of using a label like concussion? What, what does that do to people? I know you mentioned in speaking with Dr. Thompson about sort of maybe nocebo effects and mm-hmm. the, the power that a diagnosis or label can have on mm-hmm. someone. Mm-hmm. I've seen it time and time again, you know, that the, the power of words and labels is huge. And, can be very helpful and can be very harmful. So that's my hope. I hope one day we can love it. we can see through all I that fog it. and give people clarity and help them get better because oh. that's what we're all here to do, right? Yeah, no, I absolutely love that answer. I think it's bang on. I think labels, I think you nailed labels perfectly. There was a, a story I heard the other day, came from a reliable source and and listening to it kind of really hit me. He's a kind of renowned mental coach. He recently passed away, but he was Russell Wilson from the NFL. It was kind of his mental coach, really interesting guy. And tells a story about this, this one kid who grew up in a kind of a tough town and his mom had a single mother and the single mom kind of said, you know, you got to go to school. And at one point in your life, you know, you got to try to go to college. You got to take the SAT test, but he never went to school. He never kind of you know, really focused too much on it. And, you know, <laughs> he he went and took the SAT test because his mom was on his back about the damn thing. And he didn't go to school, so he didn't expect much. Turns out he he gets a 1400 on this SAT. Like, oh my God, I'm smart. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> well, I better start acting like I'm smart. So he goes, he goes back, he goes, well, what a smart, what do 1400 people do? They go to school and they go to class. So I better start going to class. And get, go, get, that, I mean, I'm smart. So he gets going to class, he goes to school, his grades are, right? Goes to college, ends up building this amazing technology company, doing really well. You know, he's super wealthy. And about, you know, 15, 14, 15 years down the road, the SAT company contacts him again and says, oh, we had a huge error with 15 of the tests. You actually got a 720. <laughs> Belief is a powerful thing. That really kind of struck me. It was like, whoa, that's that's a powerful story. And and I think it's a, it's very true when we think about effort, right? When we think about, you know, the you know, goal attainment theory, that's something we'll get into in another podcast, but I think a very important area of therapy and rehabilitation. Effort without a clear goal is not a good thing, uh, usually, ever, really. So, you know, I, I want to thank you, man, 
for, I know we spent a lot of time on this and uh, I wasn't expecting it to go this long. So I'm sorry, but it was just, we got into a lot of stuff and it was a lot of fun. You know, I really appreciate your vision for this work. I appreciate your commitment to service. That's kind of what hit me off the bat with you. And I'm, I'm sure is reflective of your team, the team over there at Tall Tree. I want to encourage people that might be in need of services to look you up for other occupational therapists out there, you know, reach out to him. Okay. He's, he's inquisitive. He's a very kind of introverted, thoughtful guy, but once you get him going, watch out. He's very passionate about his work. So I I do encourage people that are listening. If you're even new to OT, if you're open to it, you know, to reach out, it is a smaller network, but it's growing because we all want to get better at our getting more meaningful activity done in our days. So Anything else you want to finish on, Devin? I would just say thank you very much, Mark, for the opportunity to talk about this and for the kind words. I, I, I'm always thrilled to have conversations like this, and I, I love meeting with other OTs and anyone really who's interested in, in doing good work in this space, and, and in particular, the power of occupation, as we've discussed a few times today, and in really pushing the envelope around what is belief that have to do with someone's recovery and, and how do we craft good narratives with people and really do things in a nuanced way. And that's really exciting to me is is where the research is pointing around those topics. And yeah, I'm really pleased to be talking Great. about it and to have anyone reach out to me anytime. It's always fun to to chat about this stuff. Great. That's good. Oh, me too. And so if you could, you know, at the end here, we'll have these in the show notes to everybody so you, you can make them clickable. But how do people get a hold of you? How do they get a hold of Tall Tree? Uh, if you If you wouldn't mind. You bet. Well, you can find us online at talltreehealth.ca. Our concussion services are, are a subset of that, concussion.talltreehealth.ca. And you can email me anytime. It's devon at talltreehealth.ca. Easy as that. Love it. That's great. Well, thanks again. We'll see everybody on the next episode. Uh, if this one held value for you, please, please, please download it. Share it within your network. Sometimes you never know when someone might need to hear a message like this from Devin. So please, please share it. You never know where other people might be at. So have a great day and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, Mark. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the Brain Mastery podcast. We're super grateful for the community of supporters of this podcast. Again, this podcast was designed with an intention and an objective, and that was to share stories of rehabilitation, of recovery from brain injury, to really interview some of the leaders out there to provide more hope to community members. So thank you again for all of the support with that. If this episode resonated for you and had value for you, we just ask, please download and share it. Please also, if you wouldn't mind, rate the podcast. Those ratings really matter and help us to spread the message. If you're a clinical provider out there, meaning a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, or somebody who just works with people with brain injury and want to learn more about the Bears platform, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to do so. Just go to www.abiwellness.com to learn more about how to get involved. Uh, Training is very accessible and we've tried to make it very, very easy for people to get access to this neurorehabilitation platform. Thank you again for your support and we'll see you on the next episode. The statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. 
The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.